When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast and today is one of my, um, what I would say is somebody that I've looked from afar from a, a very long time. Um, I'll just go through a little bit of his repertoire and just to kind of showcase the, the importance of individuals like this and one of the reasons why um, I was doing this podcast is to kind of use uh, examples like my guest in, in terms of like seeing what people can do and the potential that they can reach. So He's a deputy lieutenant of the West Midlands or whatever kind of paraphrase you want to use for that. But he should be just the, the main man. Um, he was the president of the Black Country uh, Chamber of Commerce. He is CEO of, of the Natural Group. So that does the natural awards, the signature awards, around, especially around business. And he's also part of one of the main bands of the UK Pongola legacy, Achanak. Um, My guest today is Mr. Ninda Joe. How are you? Listen, good, good, good evening, and thank you for the invite. And uh, thank you. I look forward to speaking to you. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a great day at this moment in time because uh, Liverpool just lost the league, so that was good. That's good. Oh, okay. So I take it you're a Man United fan, then. That's right. Yeah. So we've had very, very little to celebrate at all this year. And today's um, result wasn't great either. Oh no, 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 no! Who cares about today's result, really? You know what I mean? It's just about making sure that we defend that treble. Uh, it's the it's a, it's it's poor, and it? it just shows the standards of of how how things of how think how bad things are. Anyway, I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be a bright future there somewhere. Well, it's got to be. Well, you 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 know around business and industry. What what kind of recommendations would you give, especially if this was a a business kind of transaction? What kind of leader would you be bringing in? Well, I think you've already determined who that leader is. He was apparently sitting in uh, the big seat today watching. Yeah. And uh, and obviously it didn't galvanise the reaction they thought because they thought um, when you have a new leader in place, everybody wants to please the new leader to say, include me in your team. So didn't quite have that. But um, let's see what your new manager does and what a new leader does. And as in any business or any organisation, whether it's a goddara or a mosque or a, or a temple, um, an organization is run by people and people determine the success or failure of whichever organization you look for, whether it's in business or not, not business. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, when you look at things and you look at something that was successful, especially if somebody leaves kind of an organization, especially if it's been really well, I, I always believe, and I could be wrong here, and I want to know your opinion on it is that the true legacy to see that if that organisation, that business worked, is if you took the main person out and it still functions. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, I, I, I think in, in business terms, we call it having appropriate systems and processes in place so that the business isn't determined by the existence of one or two individuals. A business should be self-sustaining and, and should be able to continue without them and and if they don't, then um, it's not really a business. It's not really an organization. It's just someone's vehicle to do something. So I think for a business to truly survive, at its earliest opportunity, it needs to build that system and those processes in place so that people can come in and out and the organization can still survive. So, yeah, uh, that's the difference between a proper business mm. and, and, and an organization run by individuals. For their own benefit. So I'd like to go kind of back. What was the young Ninda Johal like? If you can explain what the environment was, because if I'm guessing right, you, you've got a very strong affiliation with Smedic and around that area. Is that is that where? <clears throat> yeah, I, I was uh, I was born in Birmingham, uh, Edgebaston, and uh, I grew up around the Smedic area. 
<clears throat> and um, I, th I think like most second generation, so my parents were the first generation who came in the 60s. Um, I think the second generation were taught to get an education because the first generation that came here ended up doing the physical work in the foundries and, and clearly they didn't want their children to follow the same suit. So I, I think typically people of my generation were told from a very early age, get yourself an education. And that's been, I think that's the route I took. So um, my first degree was in financing leads, finance and accountancy. And then I did an MBA at Aston. So always, you know, we were encouraged to go on an academic route to make sure that we didn't end up doing what our parents did. So that was the early stage. And of course, as growing up in Smedic, I went to the local temple, Smedic Gurdwara. And, and that's when I started to see Kirtan and I'd start playing the tabla within the Kirtan. And that's where the music sort of affiliation grew, really, is through going to the local Gurdwara. And I could, be, I could be wrong here, just two points what you just said. One is when you were getting a degree, a degree actually meant a lot. Is it because of, if you look at business nowadays, it's a very saturated market and it's almost role reversal now. If you're hands on and you're able to do the hard labor work, they're getting the money that, that used to be affiliated with kind of degree level and stuff. And then the and the so, like, you know, kudos there. And I think, um, you know, I, my mom, my, my mom, my home kind of family, and my mom's side, especially, you know, education was really kind of driven there and they were getting degrees when it meant, meant something. Like, I mean, I did a politics degree. I mean, no. I could argue, I'm saying I'm still, I'll use it. But anyway, the the second part is around your, around the Kirtan at the Gorda and the the amount of people who did Kirtan who are, who've become successful in Punjabi folk music at that time, the Pachangi groups <coughs> were around it and around, around that. Were, were, what was that, what was that like for you in terms of your interest of music? And then could you see the shoots of, this whole industry uh, coming from there? Okay, so, so a couple of things. I'll take your first point on yeah. about the education. I, I, I think I, I think what employers are now looking for is not a piece of paper which says, I've got a degree. They're looking for someone who's got a particular skill set. Uh, and by that, I mean the ability to communicate, the ability to work in teams, uh, the ability to think outside the box, to be creative. Uh, and those are not necessarily the things you would pick up from a degree. I think the Labour government of Blair um, thought we need to raise the level of education in the country. And they thought the route was through a degree. So they made entry to do a degree much easier. Uh, they expanded the number of universities that could offer degrees. And, and, and I think people, uh, people thought, practical skills weren't as important as academic skills and I think you're absolutely right where we find ourselves now is that actually it's the ability to think out the box this ability to be personally creative it's the ability to do things and get things done and execute things that really matter now um, but interestingly um, in this sort of very competitive marketplace of skills uh, people still do look for a degree. And if you haven't got one, then you need to have something in its place that looks as good on paper, if not better. So I think, unfortunately, because everybody's got one, you'll get noticed if you don't have one. That will sort of place you at a disadvantage, but you'll need to be able to show that actually the skill set you've got is better than that of somebody with a degree. So it's an interesting place. Certainly if somebody said to me, I had two candidates, one had a degree and one candidate didn't, but had lots and lots of experience. I must concede and admit this is somebody who's got two degrees. I would be tempted towards the non-degree person because I thought, or I think, with their experience, they could get cracking from day one. So I think the antidote to that really is that um, the people who teach the degrees need to understand the real world is different. And need to change the curriculum so that we do have a level of practical skills and all the skills you referred to that people can then go into the marketplace and get themselves jobs. So I was interviewing Alfie Best, who's a billionaire, who's in the Sunday Times uh, Rich List, and he spoke at our Leicester event. Mm. 
But before the Leicester event, I, I did a podcast with him because we have our own podcast called the Business Influencer Podcast. Okay, and we'll put a link onto that for everybody else. So if anyone listening from here, make sure you you uh, subscribe, follow, share um, the podcast. Now, 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 here's an interesting chap who left school at 12, but his early memories was that his, his father took him out every morning to do the driveway. This is Gypsy, by the way, yeah. to do the driveway. He made a very interesting comment. He said, you have two types of people. He said, you either have the really streetwise people, these are without the degrees, or you have the highly educated people. He said, what you actually want is a combination of both. He said, if you can get the education and the business acumen, the streetwise, if you could put those two together, you have a fantastic individual that could achieve many things in life. And it's interesting, our next speaker, at the Wolverhampton Awards, he's also a gypsy, and he had no education at all. I mean, nil. And he's a multimillionaire running a number of businesses. Um, and it'd be interesting when I ask him, did edu- the lack of education hold you back? So, so I think we do need education. I just think the curriculum, the things being taught at universities and schools, need to change and reflect today's real world which is, yeah, degree is great, education is great, but you need that other set of skills. I, so those are my views, really. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm going to kind of echo a little bit of that because it's almost like in, in one aspect, um, I, I try and drill it to my kids, like you're going to have to get your hands dirty and you're going to have to have not just one source of income, you're going to have to have probably two or three passive income, all of these kind of things in order to do that. And I think if you, if you do get your hands dirty regardless, that is actually a good philosophy in order to make sure that you're doing, you actually doing and becoming an activist and doing it. Just on the other point, I've got a friend of mine. I was part of the, let's say, the Blair project. Blair, well, not the witch project, yeah. but the Blair project, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I remember seeing one of my friends. Um, he, he went to his dad was a very successful business owner, owns yeah. a couple of shops, um, and then he came out, uh, tried his hand to try and be a kind of a financial advisor. But then actually then went, actually gave up the, that side of work and went back in. And with his degree knowledge, started expanding, building, um, you know, business together. And, and that was the, he's the best sort of example in terms of, he's a medic lad as well. And he, he, he was the best example of saying how using the grit and, you know, the hands-on work, but using the business brain and the academic knowledge and, and bringing that combination together and then setting up his own businesses and you're going for like Dylan Chima, for example, who's that boxer. Um, his, his family owned a number of businesses in the shop. He's got a degree behind him, boxing as well at the same time, balancing all that. I think, you know, strategically, I think we're very equipped to do that. But I will say, I think especially over the last couple of years, with, with everyone staying at home and trying to get those final pieces of building work in the house done, the market is just absolutely driven incredibly now and and i feel it has shifted a little bit down to say like vocational qualifications are just as important as degree in my opinion now yeah yeah i i, I think those kind of skills are now in sh- short supply and and i think we need to be able to train teach educate the next generation that they need to be all-rounded skill set and all balanced skill set and I, and I think if they have that skill set that's all rounded and balanced, I think they'll be better as individuals. And I think their contribution to society will reflect that. Um, your your second comment around the music industry mm. and Smedic Godora and mm. Smedic generally. Uh, when I went to the Godora, no, I, I had no idea that, you know, we had a flourishing or a potential music industry in front of us. If I recall, so when I was a child, there was no such thing as the Bhangra industry. Mm-hmm. Um, what we had potentially was occasionally you'd go to a wedding and you might find AS Gong with a Dorki player or a double up player and maybe um, a mandolin or a harmonium. And, and that was it, really. That was sort of your early elements of entertainment. And, and I think my first recollection of entertainment was when I went to university. And I saw Gerard Bajan come to an event. And then two days later, I went to Aston University. So I was a student then. And I saw a LARP play. 
and that's when I thought, wow, this 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 is electrifying what they're doing here because that was more Punjabi, Jiraj Bajang more Hindi, and I actually saw and I actually saw a, a band playing Bangla music, Punjabi music, but a fusion and a hybrid, and that's what really sparked my interest. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to being in a band like that? performing that level of music. So at the Godora now, you know, I was 10, 10, 10, 12, 13, 14. There's no such thing as the Bangladesh industry. And, it, and it, when it did mushroom, it exploded. And I think most people did see an explosion. It all happened within two, three years. Hmm. It, it, it did explode. So there was no there was no legacy or something that had been going on for generations that was built on. It really did all happen very, very quickly and very suddenly. And it did really, in all sense, of the word, it did explode very quickly. How did you balance then? Because you know, you clearly got academia behind you, and you've got this other side of your your natural talent of becoming of a, with a double R playing as well. When did you start thinking right? There's potentially a bit of career apart from this, or, or how did you get started in in formulating that pathway? Okay, so uh, so once I'd done my MBA, um, I secured myself a role. Uh, in Liverpool, did a couple of years as a management trainee, um, and then I um, then I got a job locally, Solihull, as a management consultant, and that meant uh, I was one of a team of three. We would go all across the country looking at business units, and those businesses would look at their books, would find out if they were losing money, why they were losing money, what we had to do to correct that. And it was at that point that I was uh, with a Jonic, and we did actually explode very suddenly with Lakhano Halade, which was a huge hit. Um, that's where the problem began. You talk about balance because <laughs> uh, we would we'd be regularly doing shows during the week, two or three nights. We'd be finishing about two, and because I could be anywhere in the country with my job, I'd have to then drive to wherever that place was. Um, and, and probably I'd get to that place around six and then I'd be expected to be at work for eight. And and so it was, while they dovetailed nicely, in other words, daytime job, evening was the gigs, but it meant I was hardly sleeping, if that made sense. And mm. so it was becoming difficult to do both. So the side hustle, which was the music, was interfering with the day because I, you know, just, I wouldn't say disorientated, but I was really tired. Um, and, and, and of course, by this stage, um, I was enjoying the music really, really. I thought, this is great. Wouldn't it be great to go full time with this? But I knew just being in the band wouldn't be sustainable. Uh, and that's when the idea of setting up a record company came up. Mm. So that's when I thought, if I'm going to scale, then not only Janet, but I need a few other artists. So that's when I set up Natural Records whilst working. And that's when I. Uh, and I hadn't signed anyone actually other than a Janik. And that's it's a big risk. And I just said to my employer, I'm finished. And he said, So where are you going? I said, I'm setting my own record company up. And of course, uh, it wasn't very well taken at all, not very well received. At I was all. gonna I was just gonna say that because, like, you know, this is again your your innovation comes at a risk. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, my parents quite rightly said you got two degrees, a finance degree, you got an MBA, uh, a master's what the hell are you doing running a cassette business? Because that was their, yeah. you know, I've yes. said this often, um, the trotter, you know, the yellow van, you know, you open the back boot. Down and all boy, this yep. for the, yeah, yeah, down boy. And, uh, and that's what they thought I was getting myself into. And because entertainment isn't exactly top of the prestige occupations when we <laughs> think about Asian culture, Punjabi culture, uh, it was a shock to them. And, um, yeah, it was it was quite difficult to explain, not only to my parents, but my relatives. And well, what do you do? I'll, I run a record company. Well, what's one of them? Mm. Oh, musical. Anyway, so that was a yeah, conversation a killer, really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I've got, I think my father struggled to explain at weddings when they said, well, so what does your son do? I think he struggled to explain. And I think the best he could come out with was um, he plays a double I think, well, he, They couldn't equate playing double R full time to having two degrees. But anyway, that was, a, like you said, a conversation killer. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Kelsey said I interviewed him not too long ago and he and he was talking about his journey going up and it was 
he was one at the front of innovation, especially taking it out into the Western world. Like what you did with Janik, like playing yeah. in countries, which is just unbelievable. And, and I don't think, I don't think you guys get enough credit for that because when when you look back on it and you see, even just following your son's Instagram, you know, where he where he's been before, where he's performed, you just think, wow, this is just in the period of time where social media has been available. But these yeah. guys were doing it 20 years earlier or 30 years earlier in, in, some, in some ways. And you know, yeah, and it I, was, um, well, yeah, yeah, but it was, it was, um, I mean, we'll talk about the Adjanic thing yeah. in Europe, but, uh, yeah, I, I think because it was still in its embryonic stage, the whole industry, nobody could quite understand mm. what, because there's no precedent. We hadn't done it before and people didn't know what it meant. And, uh, they saw weddings and they saw bands at weddings and, and that was their whole limit of, well, is that what they do? And, and, and that's all this, of course, but with the record company it was a much wider remit. You know, we were signing artists, then, um, you know, getting them into the studio, recording them in the studio, then preparing all the promotion and the advertising and the marketing and the distribution, not just in this country, but we were selling in Canada, in America, we were selling in Singapore. Then we even started exporting to Japan. Uh, so it became a fully-fledged business, uh, managing creative talent and making sure we could then promote it and sell it around the world. How, how was it, you know, obviously you've got the skills now. How was it then when you were looking at what Aninda Johal was at the time where he's signing, you know, peak talent? Like some of the talent that you had was like Punjabi MC under, underneath you and, and a few others. But, you know, he's a really good case to kind of highlight where his music even transcended exactly the same in terms of what you were saying around all around the world. How how difficult it was it then to kind of manage the manage manage talent and and trying to sell them the idea of the, your innovation and your and your and your vision forward? Okay, so so, so a couple of things. So um, people said, well, why did you set up the label? And, and I tell you, I had uh, uh, you know it's difficult because I tried to explain to people that having played with the Janak, and we did occasional shows where there was a good audience, and they loved it, uh, and so. My dream then was to take Bhangra music into the charts. That was the dream. And to do that, the vehicle was going to be the natural records. And Ajanik was another conduit into that market. So, so that was the sort of the dream. But of course, most people will tell you Bhangra music was only consumed by Punjabis. It was only consumed by Punjabis from the age of about 14 to probably about 30, 35. That mm. was the sort of uh, it was consumed of people of that generation, of that age, mostly university and colleges. And if somebody had said, well, we think this could cross into the charts, I think everybody would have been, well, everybody used to fall about laughing. And most people thought I really ought to be placed in a straight jacket. Because <laughs> how can Bhangra music with a foreign vocal, foreign melody, foreign instrumentation, how can that ever get into the charts? So that was the dream I had. And of course, we set about signing artists and was it difficult? No, it wasn't actually, because right from the very outset, I was fortunate that when I launched the label, I'd already made a success, or I was associated with success at Janak. And because we'd come into the market quite strong and there was a lot of marketing behind it, then when I said I've set up a label, it wasn't an unknown entity, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. You know, they're so say success with success. But, but you're also professional, like the, the crime that isn't done now, where you're trying to professionalize a market that is that is constantly fighting against that professionalism. You know, people not getting credited for lyricists or et cetera, et cetera. And you're coming there trying to do this, you know, and, and you, you had a good go at it as well, at the, at, at, you know, to start off with. Yeah, well, so a couple of things we did straight away. One was um, we looked at the marketing and the image of, of the music. So we started to invest a lot in the cover design. Uh, I also took on risk by in, by taking on artists who, who are unknown. So there's no baggage. And with unknown artists, you can mold them much, much easier because they're new to it. And you say, look, can we, can we get you to perform like this? Can we get you to do this? And by the way, we think the cover design will look better this way. Um, we were also, I think, one of the very first record companies to shrink and wrap our product, put a shrinking around it. Um, now, that meant it was more expensive for us to do, but I knew that when it went into the marketplace, anybody who bought one knew that it was nice and it was high quality. Um, 
so we we placed a lot of emphasis on that very early on um i knew that we had to communicate to the audience so we innovated not even newsletter that would go inside the cassette so when you open the cassette with the cd mm. a newsletter would pop out and it would tell you what the next yep, yep. next albums were i also knew there was a a credibility problem with Bhangra music because nobody actually knew when an album would ever come out. But we started giving specific dates and we would hit those dates. So people started to trust the mm. brand because they said, well, not only is it all young talent, not only is it all modern, not only is it well packaged, but actually it's delivered on the date they said it would be delivered. So we started to build up a credibility in, in a an industry that was not seen as credible and that all of those things really came and we talked about education a few minutes ago yeah. that all came from having an mba having a masters and understanding consumer behavior understanding packaging understanding promotion and understanding how we would call the four p's all sit together product place promotion what's the fourth one now yeah product place promotion and price yeah and of course, what we did with the price later on when the Punjabi MC thing came out and a few others, we took the pricing to match the mainstream. And the message we were giving was we should be as proud of us, our music as we should be if they were in the charts. So that was the sort of the quality side. And that's how we took the quality of in terms of perceptions because Bangladesh music was typically sold at two pounds, three pounds, which is fine. But you could never get over the credibility. People said, oh, it's you know, too good throwaway music. And by pricing it, and I remember how people reacted when I took it to the mainstream. Why is it so expensive? I said, it's a quality product. So those are little initiatives and little innovations that I brought in to sort of raise the bar and for people to be proud of the music that not only do they produce, but the music they then bought and the music that then consumed. And that's why through those little techniques, the brand natural flew quite quickly by doing simple stuff well. I know, but you cost me a fortune because I I bought I think I bought grassroots about five times on CD as well. <laughs> you know, so it was good from there. Just a little bit on PMC to be honest. Into like, you know, arguably with the Monday on the Bachke and and, and his, his portfolio. What he did in that time, and 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 you know, he was arguably one of the best producers that the UK has ever produced. Um, I mean, you're fortunate to work with a character like that. How was he as a young person when he was experimenting? Because you might not be familiar with that kind of sound or anything. The the risk that he took of fusing those genres together. Yeah, I still remember when he first came. Really talented. Um... And, and we signed him on. And, and I think he came to us because, again, the, the brand, the natural brand had grown. And, and when I heard his sound, it was fresh. It was really was fresh. And, of course, he was fusing Western and Asian beats together really, really well. Uh, so I, I, I could see that. And, uh, and obviously, we released a few albums. And then uh, we came to Legalized. Uh, and Legalized obviously did very well in, in the Asian markets. Mm. Uh, and then... Punjabi MC went to sign to another label, which was fine. And then we continued. Remember, I had this dream. So we continue to keep selling legalized in terms of a concept. Mm. Um, and then, of course, I remember still going into Europe. I was going three or four times. So I remember nobody comes knocking on your door. You have to go to them. Yeah. And I was armed with CDs, including legalized. And I was trying to persuade any record company in Europe to take it on. And nobody would take it on. Not just Punjabi MC, but all the rest of it. They wouldn't take it on. And, and this went on for 12 years. So I was going every year. And I was the only one going, by the way. Nobody else was going for the Bangladesh industry because they couldn't see the, the point behind it. Because they, I think, like everybody else, thought, well, the only people who want to buy these Punjabis. Um, and then, of course, I eventually managed to convince a little label in Italy. I said... Um, I think you'll enjoy this music. Let me play it to you. Said, Don't really understand it. We won't give you any money. We'll give you royalties and we'll see what it takes us. Um, and then they did something with it. Not much. Mm. And then six months later, I met a guy from Turkey who said, um, yeah, I got to know him quite well. He said, I'll take it. 
and we'll see where we go with it. Uh, now, this is where the lucky break came, was the Mundial de Bajke track started to cause a storm in the nightclubs in Istanbul. So that's where it started. And the, the lucky bit that fell for me was the DJs from Turkey, Istanbul, were heavily connected to Germany. <clears throat> so they, there's a big Turkish population. Yeah, in yeah, Germany. yeah, yeah. So they took the record to Germany and started to play in the clubs there. And I remember one sunny day I was walking along and my phone rang and a German came, came on board and said, um, um, we've heard this tune. We don't understand it. Don't understand the lyrics. Don't understand the melody. But everybody in the clubs love it. What is it? And can we have it for the world? And I said, uh, well, you can't have it for the world, but we can talk about Europe. Uh, but good to hear. When I put the phone down, I thought, wow, it's taken 12 years, but actually started to do something. Then we signed the deal with the Germans. Then Sony came to me because I'd heard there was something happening. Sony in the UK said, would like to sign it. I said, okay, let's sign it for the UK and Ireland. By this stage, um, we got it on the Radio 1 playlist. First time ever, Radio 1 playlist. And it started to get played. I was now in Oxford Circus going to see Sony. And on my way back, I was walking along and um, I heard the track. I uh, turned around, half expected it to be in a Punjabi's car. But actually, it was white, five young kids dancing to the tune. <clears throat> I then knew we were onto something. Then it started to get played regularly in the nightclubs. And then remember I went where I met all these people. I'd be traveling yeah. out. <clears throat> so I was traveling out to uh, France again. And just before I left, <clears throat> I said to Sony, how is it looking? They said, we think we might have a top 10 here, which was incredible. And I said, let's see what happens. <clears throat> got, to, um, got to France and the charts are normally on a Sunday. Yeah. About one o'clock. And uh, and they said, uh, here are the charts. Number 10, I can't remember. Number nine, I can't remember. Eight, seven, six. And I thought, oh, we've missed a boat. And then it said, number five, straight in. Mundial Tobachke, Punjab BMC. Oh, wow. Do you remember the dream? Suddenly, we were number five in the UK charts. By this stage... We got into Germany at number two. <clears throat> and now it was starting to rock and roll. Then we got a call from America. They're saying, um, we want it for America. And we did the deal. And then we got a call saying, Jay-Z wants to be on the on the record. So, wow. Did the deal with Jay-Z. And um, we went number seven. Did you did you get, you know, you just, you just name dropped Jay-Z there. But, like, do you speak to him? <clears throat> <or say? clears throat> Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you a, f a funny story. So um, we had the conference call. So there's me, my lawyer from the U UK. We had the American label plus their lawyer um, in New York. And then the third party was Jay-Z's manager, I think, manager or somebody, I can't remember, three-way. And then uh, 
What was interesting was we did the deal and then Jay-Z sent his first rap, which I must concede was, wasn't what we expected. We sent it back. You know, you don't normally do that to Jay-Z, but we sent it back. We said, can we have another bash? Then uh, he did another one. It was okay. But nobody says to Jay-Z, do it again twice. So we took it and it, and it worked out well. Um, and so we had nine number ones. Uh, we knocked off Ronan Keating. He was number one in Italy. It became the biggest ringtone tune in Japan. Uh, we sold in every territory. So I think of every country except China. Um, so we went through Sony in Australia, New Zealand. We went through Sony in um, <clears throat> in India, where it was a huge tune. And that's the first time the Indians bought a Bhangra track. And of course, then that changed everything in the way India started to do production was based on the success of that track. Uh, and then we did Warners throughout Europe and South Africa, South Africa. Then we went to an independent in America and Canada. We sold it to Iceland. We went to South America. You name it, right across Russia we did. Everywhere we did, we sold. And it became one of the hottest tracks in the dance charts in that year. And of course, then it was licensed to uh, EastEnders. It was licensed to some Bollywood movies, Hollywood movies. You name it, it became the track. And I suppose it created for the first time, and, and a lot of Punjabis tell me, is when they walk into a nightclub in Europe and the DJ spots them, that's the track that yeah, 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 it is. I, I remember <clears throat> the, the first time I kind of spotted it and picked it up, and I don't know whereabouts in the store timeline that it was, but I kind of, I've kind of got an idea from what you said. Was Westwood started playing it on radio uh, on Radio One, <clears throat> and he when he was performing, especially at Leicester, it was all up and in there, and he used to just and he he, he used to play that and sauna sauna, yeah. and then. Um, but when you hear the thumbi straight away, you just know, you know. I mean, and it, it is a, it is an anthem that that picks it up. And then, did you was there the temptation then of trying to grab, you know, PMC back and say, "Hang on, we got a chance here now. We, <clears throat> we can, we we've got it's established. There's other things we can do." Um, I, I think we'd be in different places then. Yeah, and 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 you know, he was doing his own thing and doing it really well. Um, and and what happened to me was I I I'd done what I'd set out to do, which yeah, is you completed almost, it. Yeah. Like, you know, that sort of big dream. And, and of course, then what was also happening was the world was changing rapidly. We were now entering a digital revolution. Yeah. And, 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 and then of course I said to myself, you know, what are the chances of getting two, three, four, five, top five hits? And, and maybe this is actually where I've done what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and now maybe it was a 12 hard years of trying to get to it. And maybe now I want to be looking at something else. And then the digital revolution came and the returns weren't looking as great as they, what they could be. So now we're an entering, particularly for the first four or five years where people didn't want to pay for digitals at all. I know people are used to it now, but yeah. they wouldn't pay for digitals. And we were still in a niche market uh, and, and I didn't think the numbers would stack. So, we went streaming, but then I moved into events. Now, somebody said, well, why events? Because through music, I learned about branding. I learned about marketing. I learned about creative talent. And I thought if I could take entertainment, if I could take them to the corporate market, maybe we could do something. And that's when the idea of setting up our own awards and networking. Yeah, events yeah. I just, just before you go into that one, I just want to, I, I've had the ADH on here and he said he, he spoke highly of you and that. And I remember listening to a man's music interview ages ago when he first moved into Canada and he and yeah, what he said about you was like was unbelievable in terms of like you took a gamble on him, you helped him. He was literally sleeping on the floor at that time, and uh, you were like you know trying to get uh, you were you were monetizing him and giving him an income and that which ultimately provided in some ways as the foundation of the modern day what man just done as well so the amount of hidden stories behind there is there anyone who is there anything that any kudos that you should get that people just don't necessarily know uh, no 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 really um I, I mean that is for other people to say to be yeah, honest yeah no i get that it's just that yeah, yeah, these interviews are very rare to get you see so yeah, sometimes yeah, when yeah. 
when when you're asking sometimes or you don't even get um, a response back from artists or stuff like that I you know for me to try and uh, what I'm trying to do is interview people who are who interest for me and especially to get the the applause and the the gratification in terms of saying like you know these are the people who had done things and and they may never their stories may never come to air again so that's why I kind of prod a little bit more just to, on this bit because yeah. you know it, it, you never know when if ever you get an opportunity to say it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm always of the opinion. I, I, I mean, at the time, just like now, you just knuckle down and do what you think is right. You're trying to do the best you can do. You can't keep everyone happy. You try and keep as many people happy as you can. And and hopefully those that have benefited from you, whoever they are, will hopefully tell other people. And that's how mm-hmm. businesses and brands grow because yeah. you have advocates and ambassadors. And, and, and you know, my, my, my journey wasn't, wasn't anything extraordinary other than probably persistence and resilience. And I think, you know, trying to sell Bhangra music to an audience who couldn't understand what they were listening to was virtually not impossible, really. And the fact that we managed then to get it globally charted, selling, I think, around 11 million copies, digital and physical and everything. And the fact that it came from the West Midlands, and it came from British Asians, British Indians, and it conquered globally and sat amongst all the other big, big sort of acts. I think that's something to be proud of. Uh, and, and, you know, I hope in my lifetime I see it replicated because I think once you break through the glass ceiling once, you've set the path for others to yeah. follow. I, and I and so really... It, we, we've seen a little bit of that with AP, because like, you've hit, like... Yeah. Summarise what you just said. I mean, you hit the hardest metric. You achieved the hardest metric. So you know, therefore, though, that it's been done. I th- I th- yeah. I, th- I think what was different with the Monday at the Batske track, it was globally, it went across yeah. everybody. Yeah. It wasn't just That's fair. a Punjabi thing or an Indian thing. It went everywhere. Every nightclub, every country, whether it's Portugal, whether it's Greece. I think AP Dylan hasn't made that transition yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, he's he's largely a Punjabi Asian following, mm. uh, but you know you won't find him in all the nightclubs everywhere else. Uh, and and I think the reason behind that is the Monday at the Bajke track was fresh. He was innovative. To you and me, we think, well, hold on, we've heard the Tumbi millions of times, we've heard the Tor millions of times, but actually everybody who doesn't look like you and me. Mm. who doesn't come from a Punjabi background, for them, it was fresh and raw and new. And how did I know that? Because with Achanik, we'd been playing that kind of material and we knew that once people heard it, they were hooked. And I suppose that comes from the fact that I and people like you, we love our music. And and I think, Ricky, the other thing I would, I would, I would say to you definitely is as we were growing up, and when Bhangra music really hit the scene, I did an interview for a documentary recently around Bhangra music. And I think what it also did, it had wider societal implications for society. Yes. People said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, suddenly people could go to a nightclub. This is before we went global, but people could go to a nightclub where they felt safe because everybody in that nightclub looked like them. Yeah. But of their age, it became quite trendy for ladies to wear traditional dress. They didn't have to go. And, and everybody felt safe. And probably more than anything else, there was a music that they could say, this is ours, as opposed to listening to Western music or Wham or whoever it was, which is somebody else's music. This was our music. And of course, when we were on stage, we knew it was our music because we were performing it. And, and I think for the first time, it allowed people to be proud of their culture, proud of their heritage. And I think that has continued since. We've still got a Bangladesh industry, not the same format, but yeah. we still listen to Punjabi Ghani. You know, AP Dylan has taken in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Muswali did it brilliantly in Canada. He took it in a different, but the fundamentals are still there. Yeah. And 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 I think 
yeah, I think there was a huge societal shift during the Bangladesh uh, Bangladesh explosion. I don't think it was just musical. I think it was across society. But the the evidence, and I think we still see the legacy of those days. Yeah, and the evidence is in terms of how you what you took that formula to go into the events business then because you there might not be any kind of peers in that in that way in terms of like you're seeing events. And I, I remember when. Um, I went to visit yourself really um, at that time many years ago. I came to your office and and you were experimenting in sound, and I was like, "This guy just he's got everything is about. He's the speakers doing audio at events and stuff." And I was doing my drugs conference at the time, um, and I was like, "Going, you know, I, I was very scared. You know, you're gambling a lot of money at that time. It's out of your own pocket. You're hoping for sponsors to come in." And I was like, "This guy, you know, he he's not scared." You know, he's, he, he, I can see, and that was the advice, that was the, the, the advice that he said to me at that time, which was like, don't be scared. If you believe in exactly what you're going to do, what you believe in will come true. And I just stuck into that way, you know, it's a completely different industry from what you do, That's but right. I can see what, how you took the fundamentals, of, you know, when you're explaining a story like this of your, of your record label to go into the events, events industry, how was it? Like uh, you know, a hand to glove or duck to water in terms of when you went into that into that industry. I, I think I think what was interesting was, uh, and then I understood it later. Was so when when I got into what we call then the events industry, people said um, you need to go and network with people, mm. and I thought, well, what does networking? What what does that even mean? Because remember, during the music and so when I was pushing the label in this country and selling abroad so this is before the explosion in the mainstream what you can remember is that i was selling to punjabis only whether they were in america singapore malaysia or canada and my only interaction with anybody other than punjabi or asian was the vat man and the tax man <laughs> and they could have been arrested on anyway <laughs> that might have been yeah and and other than then i was fully in our community if that makes sense yeah and suddenly we were now flipping it we were now saying well actually you're now going to have to market sell your products to non-asian and that was quite a flip so suddenly you're on a new learning curve and that new learning curve meant that i had to develop networking skills personal skills and suddenly have to think much broader and outside the box because I'm now meeting people I've never met before. Mm. I have no affinity with them. Whereas prior to that, I was selling music, I understood the music, I know the people buying were buying music. They look like me, they spoke like me, they dressed like me. Yeah. Um, but now it was quite the reverse. So I did have to learn that skill. But now having learned the skill to network, the events I was putting on actually had a large network element to it. Because I knew that's what you needed to do to progress your uh, to progress your business. But in the first few years, do you know something? I didn't fear it, and I'll tell you why. Because if I've done the impossible, which is sell Pangara music, <laughs> then come on. <laughs> if you can do that, then surely sell it a ticket as, to business, man. Yeah. Nothing, <laughs> nothing can be as nothing can be as hard as that. And, and I suppose, and, and of course, I think the other thing in life, this is generally in life, I think the more success you have, the more confident you become. The more confident you become, the more you tend to attract confident people. The more confident people you attract, the more successful people you attract. And then you're then seen, rightly or wrongly, as successful. And the more opportunities open for you. So I think all of these things are quite linked. And I would say to people, it's not the easiest thing to do, but the more confident you are, without being arrogant, but the more confident you are of what you're doing, the more likelihood there is of opportunities opening. It is in or out of business, whichever. Yeah. And the more opportunities will be presented to you and the more you will attract, not the word, the more you will attract like-minded people if you spend all your day being negative uh, downtrodden looking at everything as not being possible always thinking there's an obstacle 
always thinking this isn't going to happen, then don't be surprised when they don't. Mm-hmm. Then don't be surprised when the people that hang out with you of a of a similar disposition. And unfortunately, they will also drag you down, which will make you even worse. If you flip it the other way, if you're confident, you're resilient, and you're confident of what you're doing is going to work, you'd be amazed the amount of people that one will want to help you, and you'll be amazed by the amount of positive people that will come to you and that will push you on your way. It really is down to mindset. You need that really positive mindset. And listen, you are going to have dark days. You are going to have dark moments, but that's life. But that's what will make you stronger the next time an opportunity or a problem hits you. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I remember when, like, you know, as I said, you know, all the lessons, what you said, and then seeing you on mainstream media quite often. I always used to tweet you. If anyone goes back to my tweets, it's always our certain individual house on TV. You know what I mean? And it used to be. But to get that kind of level of normality to come in, especially from a person like yourself, culturally going in there and, you know, becoming president of the black country kind of uh, chamber of commerce, you know, what is, what is the true significance of hitting a milestone like that? I I think, um, again, I didn't see it as a milestone at the time. Um, I I think when I was growing up back to Samedi Godura, those days, um, it was tough place. Um, there weren't many of us around. There weren't many of us with the stars on. Um, most people found it difficult to get jobs. Um, I remember when I did my finance degree, I had a good degree. Um, I had 16 or 18 interviews within about three months, and I flunked all of them. Now, either my face didn't fit, or I was a poor interviewer, I don't know, interviewee rather, we'll never know. Uh, but I remember walking the streets, you know, people would be throwing abuse at you. And actually how you looked, how you dressed and how you spoke, for many people were a disadvantage because it was difficult to get jobs. We're going back quite some time now. Yeah. And so uh, I think a lot of people suffered, uh, including me. I'm not no different. But I think today I would say to people um, that difference, the way you dress, the way you look, the way you speak, now actually gives you an advantage. Because when you speak and you say something half decent, because you look different, people will remember you. Yeah. Now, I remember when we went to, with a Janak to, um, when we were going abroad, we were performing all over the globe. And when we used to walk on stage, we were the different ones from all the reggae bands from all the rock bands, the punk bands, because we'd look different. Mm. And that was the first time I said to Vijay, I said, good grief. And the stars are actually an advantage because we spent all those years and now it was an advantage. And, and, and I think as long as you say something decent, that differentiator makes you very powerful. And I also say to people, um, particularly of a Punjabi or a Muslim or a different uh, culture, we're blessed because actually we understand two cultures. We understand the culture we're born in, which is the indigenous culture, the Anglo-Saxon culture, but we also bring a different angle because of our parents and heritage. Mm. So that means we're a bit more empathetic, we're a bit more, we have a wider horizon and we have a different lens we look through. Um, And so these are all the ingredients that will make us innately and potentially very successful. You must have had a, a Punjab BMC, uh, sorry, the Monday on the Bajke moment to know it was a success. And I think probably based on the conversation <clears throat> we had, it was probably when you were waiting for it to be announced on radio, you knew bank. With the awards, and, and I, you know, I I broke down on stage on, on my last conference. I actually started crying on stage. It was, I had a, I had a back surgery I donated some stem cell and I just couldn't control my emotions. It was wow. just, you know, the pressure of, of building something. Yeah. And I, that was my fourth year in as well. You know, and you're doing two massive, minimum two massive events every year from it, from there. When was that top five moment, radio moment for you when you knew that you were on stage, when you, when those uh, events were uh, a success? 
Okay, so we do five now. <laughs> yeah, so we do. Uh, yeah, we do London. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's we, what I mean. Like, obviously, reasonably, I'm just, I'm just kind of broadening it under an umbrella. Fine, yeah. fine. So, yeah. So for those who don't, we we do London, uh, we do Birmingham, we do Wolverhampton, we do Leicester, and we do Manchester. So we, we yep. do five. We have aspirations potentially going international. I, I, I think the first thing. For anything you want to do, you want you've got to do it the best you can. And if you have that mindset, I'm gonna try and be the best I can, then you're on your way because the mindset you'll say. Secondly, what you do is you look at what's going on and see if you can be different. So in this case was and, and now this is gonna be really stereotypical, but no. I'm gonna say um so most Asian events are known for being late yeah. and and for being poorly put together. Um, so I immediately said, right, when we remember the remember the release date of the albums had to yeah, be on time. And deadline, yeah. Yeah. So I did the same with the events. I said, right, we are going to start at 7:30, whether the room is empty or not. Because over time people will know they've got to turn up on time. So that was the first thing, was get the timing right. Secondly, get the quality right. So I wanted to make sure everything we did with the event was high quality, because people have noticed quality. And thirdly, when I go on stage myself, make sure I'm half decent in what I say. Mm. So at least, because when we walk on stage, we represent our community. And if we get that wrong, then everybody will say, well, stereotypical, it's a desi job, what do you expect? There's one more, there's one more if I want to add, if I, if I may add. Yeah. Good food. Because if, if oh, all I, those other things are wrong, everyone remembers they yet well. <laughs> well, well, and, and I think I remember when we first set them up, um, we would always have um, Asian cuisine, Punjabi mm-hmm. cuisine, and I think that's a great place to start. And that meant, at least if everything else, that would work well. And and that was that was absolutely right. Now, when did I know it was becoming successful? I think the best indicator is the amount of tickets we were selling. And because we were now selling out regularly at each event, I knew something was going right. There might not be a eureka moment, but the fact that every time we would put an event on, we would sell out. So we just did Leicester, we sold out. Bir- uh, London, we did last year for the first time we sold out. Uh, Birmingham, we sold out. That normally is a good indicator that you're on your way. And I suppose for me, um, as long as we continue that trend and our events get bigger, and higher quality, uh, then you know you're on your way. And I think my final way, I knew we were doing okay, is when we have billionaires happy to speak on our stages. Mm. And um, <clears throat> and I think that's when I knew um, we, we, we were on our way. Um, and of course, during COVID, you know, we spoke about COVID, we then, during COVID, we couldn't do events. See, I, I was okay with that because I'd had my digital chaos years ago yeah. when our album sales, CD sales collapsed because of digital downloading. I'd already had my COVID moment back in 2008 when Steve Jobs came with his iPhone. So it didn't phase us that much. And what yeah. we did um, during COVID, we released a new magazine called The Business Influencer. Yes. And that is now being sold in America. And we've just taken an order for Canada. And we've got plans to get it in the Middle East, India, and the Far East. So the magazine publishing company is doing quite well as well. But again, same edit, make sure the quality is right, make sure the product is right, and make sure the content is right. So what I've done, actually, interestingly, I've done a 360 almost. I started with content. The content happened to be audio. And I've finished with content again, but the content is now written. But to supplement it, to support it, we have a business influencer podcast. So you can now hear the content. Yeah, yeah. Just like you, you can see the content. Yeah. And of course, we're in the content business. If you come to our events, it's all full of content. So if you think about the fundamentals of what I do, it's around content. But it started with music content, and now it's content related to business. So it's the entire 
back to where I started really. That's, that's beautiful, actually. You know, the full 360, the circle of life, and exactly what you just kind of just summarized it, it as well. So, like, you know, I'm gonna, I know you're you're pressed for time, and we've already gone over so already. So, you know, it kind of, um, you know, what would I? Two questions. One is what the um, uh, what the next sort of six to twelve months looks like for you. I know you've got a, a big event coming up in September as well, and give it a plug. Hopefully, we meet this week as well. Um, the other thing is, um, I give an opportunity to the to the to the guests uh, when they come on here um, to either jump on a bandwagon or jump off a bandwagon, or if there was anything that they had something that they wanted to get off their chest. This is the kind of space that I um, that I kind of open up that invitation. Okay, so so I think um, I suppose this is what I do at the moment. So I I would encourage people to take risks, calculated. I would encourage people to become entrepreneurs. Um, I have a problem with the education system. We spoke about it at the start. I think the education system doesn't train financial literacy. It doesn't teach personal effectiveness, personal skills, doesn't um, teach enterprise and entrepreneurship. That's my problem. So that means we don't have those rounded individuals we spoke about at the start. I would say to people, if there's something you really enjoy, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and set up a business to exploit what you're really good at. Because you know something, later in life, you'll regret it. I had that decision to make. Do I stay in employment and stay as a consultant or do I make that wacky decision and set up a record company, which is unheard of. Uh, but my passion was Pongadon music. My passion was music. So I took that gamble and thankfully it worked, but it gave me the skill set then to move into other areas, which is events and publishing. And they're the two areas I'm now working on. But I would honestly, I'd say to anybody, we're all, um, when we were born, we were all, sorry about that, when we were born, oh, we were... It's another deal. Yeah. When, when, when we were born, we, you know, we were born with an opportunity to excel. Uh, we were born with an opportunity to do the best we can. And I think we were all born with an opportunity to change the world and have an impact. And, and, and I think some people, because of circumstances, maybe the mindset's not right, never achieve that potential. And, and we're all capable of achieving great things. So I think if there's an opportunity that you think you can impact the world, change the world, and have a contribution towards where the world is going, grab it with both hands. Don't be frightened. Uh, just think positive and just go for it. And you know, challenges will come, but if that mindset is right, you'll get to where you need to get to, and you get to where you want to get to. And you know something, people will be so happy that you've done what you set out to do. And you know something, you'll sleep well at night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those wise words. It, it, you know, I, I can't emphasize it enough especially when um you know i've been very fortunate to have you know a bit of access to yourself and and have a, a discussion you know over the number of years in and out in and out and um when it all said and done to just to look at what you've achieved yeah um is unbelievable and um you know i class you as one of my real kind of role models out there and i really appreciate it i think one ricky one point and this is probably pointing the finger at you um in a good way oh, thank is God. i think Yes, I, I, I think I, I think there are always going to be opportunities to help others and to help your community. And too often, we don't think about things like that. We, we think about what we're going to get out of it. If, if you can help, and, you know, we've all got a skill set that we can use to other people's benefits. And I think if an opportunity arises is where you can help other people and help other people in the community, you know, you leave behind you a real strong legacy of how you've impacted the world. So, yeah, it's great having a great career, great having a great business. But, you know, people ultimately measure you with your contribution towards making other people's lives better. Mm. So I think if there are opportunities to come knocking on your door, you know, reach out, help people, because that, I think, is the biggest thing you can do. 
and you know everything else will flow from that and so yeah don't don't let opportunities to help other people pass you by because that ultimately is how people will measure you and i know you've done a brilliant job helping other people in communities in all kinds of topic areas and subject areas and that's why i said i'll point the finger at you because you're the <laughs> classic example of someone who put themselves out not to benefit you but to benefit people who are in a disadvantaged position <clears throat> who have had challenges in the past or are having challenges now and you've set out to help them and i think that's the true measure of someone's existence on this earth so i applaud you for that i think i might start crying again you know <laughs> no, no, I, yeah no i am um, i really appreciate those kind words and um, it is one of those things where you know you 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 do something and it, and it's always a cost either it's your emotional well-being your mental your family time or anything like this in it. and i think uh, i i've changed a lot in the, you know in, over the years and and even now and you know I, I value people in a different way and i i own my mistake you own and, and i think it's a really <clears throat> important bit um as you get older kind of thing and you see experiences and yeah. people I'm going to an age group where people around me are starting to pass away now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'm, and sure. that's and that's a real big sort of um, scary. Yeah, yeah, scary as well. I'll I'll bring it close. Thank you, really. Uh, thank you so much, and I really appreciate this. And uh, thank you once again. Um, doors always open for the for the podcast. Anything you ever want to plug or anything like that, it's here for you. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, um, if you get a chance, if anybody ever wants to buy a copy of the business influencer publication drop me a line you can find me anywhere on google and uh, and for those from the wolverhampton area i'll see you at the natural business awards on the 8th of july and if you're down in london somewhere then i'll see you on the 9th of september at the hilton park lane mayfair i'll put all the links to both of the all the <clears> events <throat> everything to you on on the description at the end of this on the on this video thanks cheers thanks Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.